When God commanded us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that was a command asking for a response for his love that was towards us. So God loves us with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So whenever he called that out of us, he was saying, I just want you to respond to the love that I have for you. And so that's what this series is about. It's about saying yes, about responding uh, to that. And, And last week we talked about life is in the what? In the yes. Life is in the yes. You know, life is not found in the no. Now, in order to say yes, there's always a no involved, right? We can say no and there's not a yes, right? A no can be idle, but a yes, a yes has to be moving forward. And it was, but life is not found in the no. Life is found in the yes. It's in the follow. Jesus said, pick up your cross. And a lot of people pick up their cross, but they don't follow. And so Jesus wants to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. So there was no life in the denying ourselves. There was no life in, in, the, in, in the cross. Come on, are you with me? But it's in the follow. The life's in the resurrection. Are you with me? And so Jesus put to death our sin, but we, we must say yes. We must respond uh, to discover uh, this life. Uh, this morning, I, I was at. A, I normally go to Tom Thumb and pick up donuts and and uh, have some coffee and just spend a little bit of time with the Lord, looking over my notes, preparing my heart uh, uh, for uh, today. They have a little Starbucks there, and so I go and I, you know, I swipe my credit card uh, to pay for the donuts. And there's this question that pops up on the screen, and it's like, "Do you want to support hungry children?" How many of you guys have done that? And you know, there's there's a response. You can say yes or no. There's not like a maybe later icon on there or um, I really feel bad about this. Hit no, right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Because you know that if you're going to say yes to that, it's going to cost you something, right? And it's like we all like, we, we're all like, oh, but do I agree? Do I agree with, with this? Do I agree that there's hungry children enough that oh, I want to give, you know, the thing, Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We, we feel guilty when we have to say no to that. Does anybody else, you feel that? You're like, oh, you don't want anybody. You're kind of hiding, you know, the little thing. You're like, no. I'll be honest with you. I, most of the time, I hit no because I don't have the yes for it. Are you with me? And so yes always costs us something. And so what we're, we're, we're believing is, you know, in life we have, we have an opportunity to situations and circumstances that come our way. We can react to them, which, which most of us, that's our default mode reaction, or we can respond. And usually the reaction is kind of a no. I can't, no, go away, no, gossip, uh, yeah, I'll respond to that. I'll not do the right thing. Are you with me? And so we have this, this default that is very defensive, but God is wanting to change our defense to our offense so where we respond positively. Are you with me? There's so much negative going around us. There's so many no's that are thrown away. Don't do this. 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 But life is found in the yes. Life is when we respond to the good. And again, yes always means a no. But our default would be living in love-filled response to Jesus, not in a reaction to fear or the negativity that surrounds us every day. And so that's what we talked about last week to kind of set this series up. But today I want to talk about agreement. Everybody say agreement. Agreements. You know, when, you, when we agree, we kind of nod our head. Why? Because when we agree to something, we're saying yes to it. We're saying it's a, it's a good idea. We love agreement, right? We love, we love when people agree with us, right? We love for that endorsement. We love when people are like, yeah, I understand, right? We love the way that feels. And equally, we hate disagreement. 
right? We, we, and it's, we, we, we know the frustration of when we're talking to somebody and they don't understand. I mean, as, a, as someone that, that's preached, you know, in front of people for about 20 years, you know, when I, when I don't see the connection when I'm talking, it's like, because I want people to get it. I want them to agree with what I'm talking about. And sometimes I'm looking and they're just like, I don't get it. And it's like, so we, we all know the exhilaration that comes when people get what you're trying to say, when they can agree with what you're saying and they say it's good. But we also know the disappointment and the frustration and the tension that comes whenever there's no agreement, right? And we know this sometimes when we're married, or with our kids, and we're like, I'm trying to get you to do this. And they're like, I don't agree with you. And so we all know this frustration that comes with disagreement. We hate the tension we experience when people don't say yes to our ideas, our convictions, and our choices. Let me tell you this this morning. Agreement is a very big deal to God. Agreement is a very big deal to God. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 20. How many know that if Jesus prayed something... It's pretty serious, right? I mean, we can, we can look at things in Scripture that are, that are valued by the prayer that was prayed. Are you with me? Because when it shows that there's great desire for these things to happen. So there's several things that we, we talked about doing a series possibly this year, talking about the prayers of Jesus. You know, they had the prayers of Jabez and the prayers of whatever. Um, but but I, I've really wanted to do a series on the prayers of Jesus. But today sees this opportunity talking about agreement. One of the things that Jesus prays. And we can see what his heart is. We can see what's a big deal to him. We, we can see what matters by the things that he spends time praying for. Right? It's the same way for us. Like, we say that things matter to us. We say that things bother us. We say all this kind of stuff. But how much time are we actually spending in prayer for it? Right? Or are we responding to it? I mean, if it's a really a big deal, then you're going to pray about it. Right? Come on. And so Jesus is praying about this. It's a big deal. He says, I am not praying only for these disciples, the 12, but also who will ever believe in me through their message. How many know that you are a result from the message of the, the, the disciples? They preach to somebody that preached to somebody that preached to somebody that preached to you. And so Jesus is praying not just for them, but he's praying for us. Right here, 2014 Overflow Church. This is his prayer. I pray that they will all be one. Yes. Just as you and I are one. I mean, you know, that's intense. I mean, Jesus and the Father, like, like they're one. Like, that's mysterious, right? We have, like, all these little illustrations so we can kind of try to figure out the Trinity and how that functions and how that works. And we can't even describe it. Why? Because it's such a bond. It's such a union that it's outside of our context of understanding. So Jesus says this, that we would be one even as him and the Father are one. That's intense unity. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you then they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't it interesting that the belief of the world is contingent upon our ability to be one? I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. If two of you agree here on the earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers... I am there among them. So Jesus is saying there is this great truth in unity. First of all, it's on his heart. And secondly, it it brings the endorsement 
of heaven. Whenever we can come together, when we can bring into agreement with one another, it is so powerful. Sadly, most of the church focuses on the things that we disagree with one another on. The things that we're frustrated about. The no's. But Jesus wants us to be unified and brought into agreement. Come on, are you with me? I mean, you know, the key to agreeing with one another is just agreeing with Jesus. So I want to talk today about five realities about agreement. Everything's about realities here at Overflow because we're all about encountering reality. Come on, it's not good enough for us just to have truths or just to have something written on paper or just a doctrine stapled to the wall. We want it real in our lives. So here are five realities about agreement. First of all is agreement builds community. Everybody say community. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And we quote this scripture a ton because it's, again, not really the prayer of Jesus, but the way he instructs us to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does he start the scripture off? Our It says, our father. It doesn't say when we pray, we go, my father. He said, when you pray, you say, our father. What is he talking about? He's talking about community. He's valuing us coming together and saying, our father. See, it's it's one thing to have your intimacy with Jesus, and you absolutely got to have that. It's a total other dynamic when we bring believers together. And the cry from my father becomes our father. This is the family of God. Agreement builds community. So and what do we build that community around? We build it around the presence. We build it around Jesus. We don't build it around programs. We don't build it around systems. We build it around a man, yes. Jesus. And that brings community. Listen, our mandate was meant to happen. When he said, we've talked about this before, whenever he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know that that wasn't just the prayer? That was the mandate. That was the mandate that we see back in the book of Genesis, the kingdom, the, the rule of the dominion of Jesus to be spread throughout the earth. This is our prayer. This is our reality. This is our mission. This is what God's calling us to do. It can only happen in the context of unity. Community creates context that increases our capacity to encounter a greater reality. Ephesians 3, we talked about that in our last series. It says, with all the saints that we would be able to grasp. Why? Because you can't grasp it on your own. You need more. There's got to be more capacity. That's why we've got to come together. Because when we come together, it increases our capacity corporately to receive a greater revelation. So agreement builds this community So this is what the enemy does. He tries to destroy community, where the community be in the home. What is community? The word community means common unity. That there be a a bond around an idea or in a concept that we build around one thing, that we're in unison. So what happens is the enemy hates unity because it's powerful. The enemy hates agreement because of how powerful it is. He wants to destroy. He doesn't want Jesus' prayer to, to come true. How many of you know that? And so what he does is he goes into homes and he causes frustration. Right? Why? Because he doesn't want unity there. Because a unified family is a powerful family. A unified family raises children that transforms the world for a positive way. So he goes in there and he, he tries to bring frustration. And he tries to point out the disagreements. You don't like that. Why are they treating you that way? Why did they say that to you? Misunderstandings, frustrations, all these things. That's what he does in the church. Did you know more churches have been split by the color of, of the carpet than they have because of adultery? 
Are you with me? Because people like to have everybody agree with them. Right? And so what happens? Gossip comes in. What is gossip? Gossip is, is, is speaking negatively of someone, any kind of negative, even if it's true negative. How I many you know gossip can be truth? Any negative communication to someone that's not there present with you is gossip. The Bible calls gossip a work of the flesh. Listen, division is very destructive. It's very, very, very destructive. In fact, it's so destructive that in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, this is what Paul says to do with someone that's divisive. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. That's intense. Oh, man, should we just love on him? Well, you love on him once. You love on him twice. And the third time, you love on him again. Right? You boot them out. Why? Because there is no room for, for division in this kingdom. We are a unified kingdom of people. And so what happens is the enemy comes in with this force of gossip, of slander, of uh, critical spirit. And these things are very harmful to the kingdom of God. Come on, are you with me? Negative. Negative. Listen, I would say a negative person, you might tell them, hey, man, you're, you're kind of negative. Like you're kind of ruining my joy. When I get around you, all I can think about is bad things. Right? And let me just say this. If someone keeps coming to you with gossip, you might have a bendable ear. Proverbs uh, 17, 4 says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. So what happens is whenever we hear negativity and we hear gossip, are we hearing it a lot? And if we're hearing it a lot, it's probably because we have a bendable ear. So we got to be careful with gossip. Come on, are you with me? slander, critical spirit, just negative speaking. There's no room for it in the kingdom. Why? Because it divides. It's a tool of the enemy. So God really hates it. And so he loves people that are doing it, but he hates the act because it's partnering with the enemy's schemes. Complaining. I mean, no complaining is draining. Complainers are drainers. Uh, our son, Judah, he's, he's six. Uh, he has a tendency to be a little bit of, naturally, be a little bit of a complainer. We don't make excuses for him and just say, oh, he's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of, no, 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 no. We correct him, don't we, babe? And uh, so we tell him, we tell him all the time, complainers are drainers. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's going to complain all the time because there's no life in the no. Come on, are you with me? So community is important. Because there's got to be agreement there. So what we've got to do is we've got to we got to remove the things that would destroy community. And those are the things. Slander, negative, critical spirit, all those type of things. And build around the common bond, the agreements. Number two, agreement brings exponential increase. Everybody say exponential increase. So agreement brings exponential increase. Listen, um, Psalm chapter 133. Check this out. I love this verse. It's a short psalm, and it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity, or sisters, come on. When brothers live together in unity, it is like precious oil poured down the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is the dew of, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, Zion, for there the Lord bestows or the Lord commands his blessing. Yeah. 
even life forevermore. So when we are unified, when we bring into an agreement, it brings exponential power. What is it? It's God's commanded blessing. Did you know that God blesses unity? It's not even like God like decides, um, let's see, let's see who's unified. I'm going to bless it. No, God set in a system of unity. So what happens is when we come together, there's this thing called synergy. I mean, y'all have heard of synergy. So what happens, there's this, there's this rule uh, called synergy. And synergy is basically God's commanded blessing. It's like God set this thing into motion called synergy that when two people come together, let's read the, the definition. Synergy is the interaction of multiple elements in a system to produce an effect different or greater than the sum of their individual effects. So what synergy is, is like this. If I can lift 100 pounds and Leslie can lift 100 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds. If I can lift 100 pounds and Leslie can lift 100 pounds together, we can probably lift like 300, not just 200. This is the power of synergy because we can accomplish more together than we can individually. That's why working together is so important because there's a blessing that God set into motion. He said, when you come together, when you bring agreement in the house, what's going to happen is you're going to be able to do things that you could have never done alone individually. So the sum, you would think, oh, one plus 100 plus 100 is 200. But actually, it's way more than that. It's like 200, like 300, 400. And so there's a commanded blessing that comes. We see this in the Tower of Babel. You guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Sunday school, right? We talked about this uh, story in Genesis chapter 11. And these guys said, listen, we're going we're gonna to build this great city. And we're going to build this tower. And we're going to be famous. And we're going to be like God. And we're going to attain to be like God. And this is what God says about this in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. He says, look, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. So here's God speaking of a carnal act. Come on, a people seeking fame. A people of doing things that weren't God's way. And God said what they were going to do was going to be, quote unquote, blessed. Not blessed by God, but blessed by the law of synergy. That they would actually be able to accomplish this task that they were setting out to do because they were speaking the same language and because they were unified. So God said, I'm going to have to go down and mess up their language to stop what they're doing. This is the power of synergy. God said, you got to, I've got to go in and mess it up. So that's how we got all the languages of the world. The story of Babel, how much more if we are gathered and camped around the spirit of God and we are in agreement with God and one another, think about how much more powerful we can be. So the enemy tries so hard to frustrate us, little things, little offenses to come in and don't you not like that when he acts like that? Doesn't that hurt your feelings? Isn't that wrong? Right? So what what we do is we get our eyes off Jesus and we start looking at one another. And how many of you know that that's imperfect person that you're looking at, no matter who that person is? And they're going to do things. They're going to fail you. They're going to let you down. They're going to discourage you at times. There's going to be times they're going to say stupid things to you and you're going to say stupid things to them because you're not perfect either. But if you can get your eyes off one another and focus on Jesus... Come on, are you with me? The problem is, is we start looking at one another. This is why we got a world walking around going, well, the church this, the church that, the church this. People writing books, oh, we love love Jesus, but hate the church. How many know that that don't work? You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. It don't work like that. We ain't perfect, but we're the best God's got. And we're still God's plan A. He ain't changing the plan. The church is his plan. That ain't changing. 
You know, the book of Acts, we love, I love this, Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with, in one accord in one place. That's what kind of car the disciples drove. Accord. Yeah, that's a preacher joke. That's a bad one. Most, most preacher jokes are really bad. So I just try to be goofy to be funny, not tell jokes. The word there, one accord, means, it, it's a, a Greek word, hamuthamadon. Yeah. I actually did nail it. I worked on it like 50 times. Hamuthamadon. This word is 10 times in the book of Acts. The Acts, the demonstrations. I mean, you know, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. 10 times we see this in the book of Acts. And it's oneness of mind and passion. Oneness of mind and passion. Listen, I can tell you the reason why the early church was so powerful is because they were working in synergy. They were focused on Jesus. They were focused actually on the return of Jesus. That's what they were focused on. They were focusing on this man. They were focused on the advancement of the gospel. They weren't focused on their lives and how much stuff they had. They were focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And this is why they were so powerful. We see that in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out people two by two. Why? Because we're more powerful together. We see in Deuteronomy 32, 30, it says, One could put a thousand to flight, and two could put ten thousand. The power of synergy. Two Christians in a room together are a multitude. Listen, you can pray together by yourself. It can be good. It can be powerful. You need that. You need to be intimate with the Lord. But when you get another brother or sister in the Lord with you and you pray, I'm telling you that there is a power there to break things off of your life and off of their life that isn't there when you're praying by yourself. Jesus taught us this. It's exponential. It's part of the reason why we do these campaigns like we're going to do on Friday night and Saturday morning where we go out into the community we do things why are we doing these things together why aren't we doing because we're more powerful together we can all do it on our own but most of us know we won't until there's a campaign so we come together and we work together and what happens when we work together we build unity we build community i think it's some of the best times i've had with nate southers is when we're here working at the church we're building up walls what are we doing we're getting unified why because we're, we're trying to go towards the same goal we're going towards the same place and then there's a connection that happens when we're working together when we're doing the work of god together god comes and he's saying man i'm gonna bless that i love it when you do things together yes. we've got to be on the same page So that's the reason why we do this invite cards that you guys have in the back of your seat. That's why we said, man, let's just all do it together. Let's all pray for three people we we know. Let's all pray for three, uh, fast and pray for three people we all know. Let's invite three people that don't come to overflow. Let's invite, that's why we do these little cards. We don't do them so you have something to do. Come on. We do it because there's power in agreement. There's power in an army. So number one, agreement builds community. Number two, agreement brings exponential increase. And number three, and these are, again, these are realities. Agreement is not about compromise. Some of you are like, what? Sure it is. No, it's not about compromise. Because if you're compromising, you're not giving 100%. You're not lifting your 100 pounds. You're like lifting 75 So it's not about compromise. It's not about you laying down things. And there will be times that you will have to lay down things for truth. Come on, are you with me? 
When Jesus is the goal, there's no compromise. It's not about the nose that we have when we have to compromise. Well, I just don't like that, but I'll just... Get on the page. Why? Discover why you don't like that. And don't just be okay with the things that you don't like. Come into an agreement. That sounds like a cult. No, it looks like the book of Acts. You notice the power of the church decreased when Paul and Peter started having arguments. Go study the book of Acts and you see that that's when the power, that's when we stopped seeing multitudes getting saved is when Paul and Peter, even though there was some wrong in there, it's when that, when that division came, the church lost a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Listen, there will be a need for convincing others, but it's not about the arguments. It's about the agreements. And sometimes you just got to say yes, yes, okay, yes, yes, and then eventually buy in. Come on, whether it be the vision of the church, whether it be something that God says that you need to come into agreement with. So agreement is not about compromise. It's about wholeheartedness. God doesn't just want your, your empty yes. God doesn't, okay, I agree with that. Do you? Do you agree with your heart, soul? Do you agree to the core? Or are you just paying lip service? These men honor me at their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Number four, agreement is about clarity of focus. Listen, division happens when people get their eyes off of the vision. It's called division or division. It's like we divide the vision. We say, well, it's not my vision. So there's no power when you work with those people. Why? Because... You've chosen to separate yourself from the vision. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. In the NLT it says, Without agreeing on the direction. So if Jeremy and I decided to take a walk to Mansfield today, I don't know why we'd walk, because we could drive. I mean, we wouldn't walk together unless we said, Okay, this is the way we're going to go. And some of that we might be figuring out on the way there, right? But we're all walking to the same place. It's about clarity of focus. Where are we going? Without agreeing on the direction. This is the cool thing about agreement. Sometimes, like, you know, we're people. You know, there's like all these temperaments and all these different personalities we have, right? We all have different pasts, and you know we all have a, our own story. And, and so when we bring that to the table, the tendency is there to, you know, kind of get frustrated. And you, you're not like me, and I'm not like you, and no, 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 and start focusing on the things that we don't like. I, uh, great man, Buster Russell, Pastor No Paso, who we served under for 11 years, used to always say this, and he would talk about this in the context of marriage. But I believe it's the context of everything. If Jesus is here. And you are polar opposites over here, and you are polar opposites over here. If we are both working towards Jesus, we will eventually end up in the same spot. And that's the way it is. We've got to be, we've got to have clarity of focus. Clarity of focus brings the agreement. It frustrates me when you do that, because that's your flesh. Yeah, and that's your flesh too. Oh, okay. So let's just focus on Jesus, and what Jesus does is he pulls us closer together as we work towards and we get closer to him. 
So agreement is about clarity of focus. Number five, agreement happens when we are Christ-centered. It's the same illustration that we just talked about. Listen, the vision here at Overflow is Jesus, encountering Jesus. We've kept, some people are like, well, that's pretty broad. What's your vision? That's our vision, man. We want to encounter Jesus for real. We don't want to, we don't want to play games. We're not about programs. We're not about, we're about Jesus, right? We just want to encounter Jesus. What are you guys all about at Overflow? We're about encountering Jesus in a real way. What else? What's your strategy? Man, that's our strategy. Let's just go after God. You want to go with us? So that's the vision. But listen, the the vision is the vision of the kingdom, the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of God's government, if you will. It's God's rule. It's his domain. So what we're doing when we tell people about the gospel, we're saying Jesus needs to rule here. So when we go and knock on these doors Friday and Saturday, we're going to go and we're going to knock on these doors. We're not going to be, Jesus needs to rule here, but we're going to go. We're going to do it with love because that's the way God drew us. We're going to do it with kindness. We're going to do tenderness. We're going to do it with the heart of a servant. We're going to go knock on doors. We're going to give them bread. We're going to be like, hey, we just want to let you know, man, we're right here. If anything, we're having this thing on Easter. We'd love for you to come. What are we doing? We're doing that because Jesus needs to rule there. Jesus needs to rule in our community. You know, we could we could have sat around and said, where, where do we want our church to be? We want it to be in an area that's real nice, and we want it to be where everything's all kind of polished and clean. I'm under the opinion that God had us here to polish this area. So God put us here for this season. God put us here for now. God said, I want you to bring my kingdom to that area. Instead of us just, you know, all these churches talk about, we just need to move, move to a nicer, safer area. Just need to move to. Why not increase the safety of the area you're in? Why not advance the kingdom of God? So, this is where we are. So, wherever we are, we're going to advance the gospel. Wherever we are, we're going to advance the kingdom. Wherever we are, Jesus is going to rule. That's our mission. Listen, if you want your family or your marriage to be unified, center around the presence of Jesus. Don't focus on personalities and frustrations and all the things that you're irritated about. No, no, no. Because it's not about you. You don't have to compromise. You just focus on Jesus and he works out all the details because we're becoming like him. Being Christ-centered means that we've decided to live in agreement with God. That we've said, yes, God, your ways are good. Yeah. Your ways are right. Your promises are true. We agree. We agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Christianity is about. God said, this is my plan. This is my idea. And we said, that's a good plan. That's a good idea, God. I'm going to follow that. Yeah. This is what Christianity is. It's agreeing with God. Listen, the greatest tension in life occurs when we live in a disagreement with God. We talked earlier about the tension of disagreement. Listen, the tension of your life, the peace of your life, the joy of your life is all dictated by one thing. Are you agreeing with God? Are you agreeing with God when your job situation is terrible? When your spouse isn't acting the way they want? Are you agreeing with God's promises? Or are you allowing the situations, the circumstances around you to dictate your peace, dictate your joy? Listen, you are unshakable. 
You are unshakable because as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen, your joy is unshakable because it's rooted in Jesus. It's not rooted in your situations. It's not rooted in your circumstances. It's not rooted in your job or who you're friends with or who hurt your feelings this week. Your joy is rooted in Jesus. Your peace is rooted in Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It's all about him. And so the tension comes whenever we don't agree with what he said was good. When we don't agree with what happened on the cross. God loves you and he finds pleasure in you. But that doesn't mean that he agrees with you. So not, you know, I, I, I feel like that that's kind of the main thing, you know, with, you know, people talking, oh, American church. I would say, you know, really, if someone said, what is it? I, I think it's like, we just want God to agree with us. We want God to endorse what we're doing. If there's a problem, which there is, which we don't focus on a lot. We are imperfect, but we're the church. The problem is that we don't really agree with God. We don't follow the word. We don't do what the word says. We don't advance the gospel. We don't think it's good enough. So we live differently. And so we live in tension. We must agree with God. Now listen, this does not mean necessarily that you'll have peace with men. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have peace with people. Saying yes to God's approval often means saying no to people's. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty two, He said, "You'll be hated because of me." So, although we do have peace, it doesn't mean that there won't be tension from the outside world trying to disrupt our peace. I've heard it said like this: Are you a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? And there is a difference. Peacekeepers don't frustrate the tension around them. They ignore it. Peacemakers establish justice and mercy and God's dominion to the environment around them. Following and responding to Jesus is about agreeing with him. Obedience reveals our agreement. When we obey God, we're saying, yes, God, we agree. We agree that you know the best way to live. So I'm going to live that way, God, because I believe that your way is good. I believe the way your way is true, that it's right. And I believe it is the way to life. So God, I agree with what you said is good. But when we sin against God, we are saying that we don't agree that his way is better. When we don't pray, we are saying, God, I don't agree. I think my time is more important. I don't have time to pray. Therefore, prayer isn't important. I don't agree that it's important, God, so I don't pray. The reason why we don't pray is because we don't agree that it's good. We think it's novel, it's admirable, but we don't do it because we're not really in line. We're not in agreement. We don't tithe. We say, well, God, I don't agree. I believe I can handle my finances better. My ways are better than yours. I can handle my finances. I've got a better way than you, God. Come on. Got quiet. We don't love others. We're disagreeing with what God says that his, about his values and about the way he values others. We're saying, God, I don't agree that they need to be loved. Huh? Well, we're not merciful with people. We're saying, huh? I don't think they need mercy, God. I don't agree that 
you really like them. So I'm going to act ugly to them because I don't agree with the way that they acted, even if it's towards me. I don't agree with what they said. I don't really care what you say about them, God. I'm more important. My ways are better. No, our agreement is that his way works and his ways are better and that his promises are true and good. Faith is agreeing of God's word. Agreeing with that his promises are true and are for us. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, yes, God, I believe what you said. And so I'll give my life for it. I'll put my trust in it. Just like today when you came and you sat down in that chair today, the reason why you sat there is you agreed that that could probably hold your weight. I question it at times when I sit down. But I come into agreement with that little tag that says weight capacity. 380 pounds. So I sit down or whatever the weight capacity is. I actually think they're like 1,000 pounds. So I agree with that. So I sit down. Listen, if you don't agree with God and you don't agree with his promises, you know, so many people, like, they, this is how they live life. They're like, if, it got, if it's God's will to bless me, if it's God's will to heal me, if it's God's will to, you know, do whatever, if it's God's will, regardless of what it says in the word, regardless that Jesus said it is finished, well, if it's God's will for me to, you know, live holy, then he'll just make that happen. No, he's waiting for you to agree with his word. And he say, yes, Jesus, I do believe that by your stripes I am healed. Listen, if, if it's a point of tension for you to look at the scripture and go, well, I'm just not really sure what healing is. Well, the power probably isn't present to heal. That's not saying that God in his sovereignty can't come in and do something because he is sovereign. But when we just go, well, I'm just not sure. God's saying, will you just agree with my promises? Looking at your situation, okay, yes, God, I believe your word. When we agree with God, it places faith in him. And if you don't agree with him, the power will not be present for breakthrough. James chapter 4, last scripture today. When we don't agree with God, it's because we think we've got a better idea, right? We've got a better concept. We, well, God, we know you said it that way, but it's 2014. You wrote those words like thousands of years ago. Are they still relevant for today? Are they still true? We walk around with this tension in our mind. Going, hmm, I'm not sure. What is that? It's pride. It's saying God's word isn't really good enough. God's word isn't. Nah, that's not what it means. God doesn't really like me. Right? Those are all prideful things. Because we're not agreeing with God. And it says this in James chapter 4 verse 8. That God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. I've spent most of my life ministering to young men. <clears throat> One of the things that frustrates me most is pride that's usually associated with young men. And this isn't a slam because I've been there and I still am in a lot of ways very prideful. But I know for me, like a lot of times, like in this battle of getting someone to agree with God, there's always this tension of pride. And I've, you see it a lot in young men because, you know, they're, you know, I, I, sometimes I wish, you know, almost being 40, sometimes I wish I could go back to my 19-year-old self and ask lots of questions because I had all the answers. You know, I wish I could just, like, get into, like, a time portal and go back and be like, hey, Josh, what do you think about this? Because I knew everything. 
everything. And it's not really so much that I know less. It's just, I'm retrospect, I'm like, well, I really don't know that much. Because it just got real. And those answers aren't working that I had. So what does it do? It forces me into humility. It says, I don't, I don't agree. I'm not sure. Humble myself. And I love what James says, that God opposes the proud. That when we are prideful, when we say, my way is the way, when we're so... Listen, we've got to be firm on our beliefs. Come on, there's some things that we've just got to be firm on, and we know the way God is. There's, there's black and white. But when we're so caught up in us and our opinion and what we think is right, and we're so dogmatic about it, and we're so full of pride, even sometimes whenever what we're saying might be right, it sets us in opposition towards God because that prideful spirit, that's what it does. It's saying, I don't really need God. I don't really need his presence. I don't really agree that his word is true. And so it sets us in opposition with God. Why? Because he's the king. But I love this. But he shows favor or gives grace to the humble. 